Welcome to Journey in the Word with Pastor Randy Mosher of Calvary Chapel, the Cumberland Valley. We are located in Hagerstown, Maryland. Please join us every weekday as our pastor takes us verse by verse through a book of the Bible. Today, we're picking up in the book of Philippians. In this book, Paul calls the church in Philippi to live lives that reflect Christ, even in times of persecution. Remembering this, to live as Christ, to die as gain. So if you're able, grab your Bibles and join us as we continue our journey in the Word. Paul, we left off last week, Paul talks to us at length about not to worry. And I say at length, but it was really only a couple of verses. But yet those couple of verses seemed like chapters and volumes, didn't they? And not just because I added words to them, but just because there was so much in those words that Paul shared. Be anxious in nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, give th- with thanksgiving in your hearts, give it unto the Lord. Give it to him. Keep your focus on him. And, and I do think that even though Paul here in, chat, in verse 8 is beginning to make a turn, isn't he? I mean, he's saying, finally, brethren, I know, this is the preacher thing again. He said this like, this is like the second time he said it, and he's still not done. But he's making a transition. He clearly is now moving into his final comments. But even though we could see here that this is a new line of thought, and many people teach it as such, I don't think it is. I think Paul's still kind of giving them the equation of the things he was talking about before on worry. He's talked about not worrying. He's talked about how we handle that by giving it to the Lord and doing that. But I like this because what he's saying to us is instead of all these other things that flood your mind and soul that you're worried about, instead of that, meditate on these things. Meditate on these things instead. Meditate, meditate on whatever things he says in verse 8 are true. Whatever's true. You know, true in the Greek text doesn't mean truthful. We hear true and we think, you know, I swear, solemnly swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And, and it can mean that, but that's not the, the implication of what he's talking about here in truth. What he's talking about is truthful in the sense uh, of character in the widest sense of the meaning. In other words, whatever things have the character of truth. Think on these things. Now, when we hear that, I mean, I'm immediately drawn to the things that we think about in the world that we start thinking about, we start meditating on, only to find out how false they really are. I mean, this world is filled with a lot of falseness, isn't it? I mean, you can't tell whether a statement being made today by a politician or a local figure or somebody else is true anymore. I mean, I go to all these fact check places anymore because I don't know. I do it for both sides, both sides of the parties, you know. Is this true? Is this not? I mean, I'm watching, you know, in our own state, we've got two candidates duking it out. And you just wonder, you hear one say this about the one and the other say the other. And you start saying, who's telling the truth? It, somebody's got to be not telling the truth. Otherwise, you know, it'd be contradictory. It, it's not working. out. Truth is hard to find today. And yet, look how our mind is filled with these things. Somebody says something, it sticks with us, and we just are thinking about it, and then we find out it's not as true as we thought it was, and then all of a sudden there's, you know, this disharmony in our hearts. But here Paul says, think about whatever has the character of truth, the character of truth. Well, what would that be? Well, I'm going to tell you the first starting point is Jesus. He's the starting point. I mean, there is nothing more true than God his word, and his things. Nothing more true than that. I mean, think about what Scripture tells us. Matthew 22 and verse 16 says this. Matthew 22 and verse 16. And they sent him to their, I'm sorry, and they sent to him their disciples with Herodians saying, Teacher, we know that you are true 
and teach the way of God in truth. Nor do you care about anyone, for you do not regard the persons of men. Now, now I, these guys are coming to trap Jesus, but they're making some statements, whether they're being hypocritical or not. This is true about Jesus. He is true. He is true, and he does teach the way of God in truth. Not just this kind of truth, but truth in his whole being. Everything about God, everything about his character, everything about his nature is true. I mean, if you want, when you're worried sometime, to change the attitude of your heart, just sit down and think about the attributes of God. I think it was Tozier wrote a book, actually two volumes, on the attributes of God. It's awesome. It's awesome. I, I read that book, and I've reread that book, and I, I thought, you know, all the studies I've done over the years, I've never looked at the attributes of God like that. And, and now, since I've read that, now when I approach my Bible, I'm looking constantly for what is the, show me more of yourself, like Moses did, right? Uh, uh, Lord, show me. I, just a brief glimpse. Let me see your glory. Let me see you. Let me see who you are. And what does God do? He, he can't show him all of himself, but he passes before him. And what does he reveal to him? He reveals to him his attributes. He reveals to him his attributes, full of compassion, abounding in mercy, grace, all of these things. Yes, judgment, all of these attributes of God. Why did he reveal that? Because he knew if he could show that to Moses, if Moses would grasp those attributes, he would understand truth, and that would fill his heart and mind. When next time you're worried, instead of worrying about whether the world's going to blow itself up 10 times because Putin's going to go into Ukraine or whatever else it is in this world, sit down, open your Bible, and say, Lord, show me more of yourself. Show me your truth. Show me who you are. Show me your character. And he'll fill your heart with something that you'll never lose and will just so consume you. John chapter 3, verses 32 and 30 through 34 says this. John 3.32, and what he has seen and heard, that he testifies, and no one receives his testimony. He who has received his testimony has certified that God is true. I like that. What he's saying, you know what? Jesus came in the world, and there was testimonies about him, but nobody was receiving it. Here it talks about John the Baptist making testimony, and nobody receives it. Nobody receives what Jesus said, but yet those who received it realize that God is true. He's truth in his whole being. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God does not give the Spirit by measure. Everything that Jesus is, everything that he is about, everything about him is nothing but truth, absolute truth. John 11, verse, or I'm sorry, John 1, verse 14 says this. John 1, 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of what? Grace and truth. Just his words? No, that's not the point. Everything about Jesus is true. That's why people were drawn to him, because there was truth about him. That's why when we live for Christ... I'm not saying, and I, and I agree with James, man, we need to, you know, people need to, it is a shame when people look and say, oh, you're, you're, you're a Christian? You know, I remember a testimony, do, do, you guys seen that movie Courageous, right? You remember the young policeman in that movie? I was at a men's conference, I actually spoke at a men's conference, and he was one of the speakers that, at, at the thing, and I got to sit in a room with him, we got talking, but he got up and he gave a testimony, he said, you know what, he said, he was, said, I can't tell you what university I attended, because I was a track star, I was a triathlete, and he said, actually, I was, you know, the movie acting and stuff was in it through a Christian movie guild, and I was doing that on the side, and he said, but 
I was really on scholarship to a university, and because of the NCAA rules, I can't tell you where that was, but oh, by the way, there's a famous football player there who went NFL, you know, and he's, of course, he's talking about Tim Tebow, so we can figure out where it was, but he said, I was sitting there, and he said, I was trying to live this duplicit life, you know, I was raised under homeschooling, and, you know, in my home, I was the perfect little Christian, but then I got out to the university campus, and I started living this other life, and I was trying to impress girls, and, and everything, 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 and he said that, you know, when I was was out there one day, you know, I was sitting at the table and this, I was really trying to impress this girl and Tim Tebow came up and walked over and she immediately took her attention off of me and put it on him. And he said, from the moment Tim Tebow sat down, he did nothing but witness Christ to her. He did nothing but share the gospel. She wanted to know all about him, and he just started saying, well, let me tell you who I am. And he started sharing Christ with her. And he said when he got finished, he said it was succinct. It was, you know, 10 minutes or so, and he was getting ready to leave from the table. And the girl said, can, can, can I have your autograph? And he said, sure. So he took a napkin, and he said he proceeded to write. And he said, I know he write, wrote more in his name. He said, I know what he wrote on there. He wrote a very brief synopsis and outline of the gospel for her, and he handed it to her and walked away. And, of course, then I'm left at the table with the girl, he said, and he said, she started talking to me about what a neat guy he is, and he's, you know, really, he has a lot of faith in this Jesus, and talking about it, he says, yeah, well, I do too, and she says, oh, I didn't know you were a Christian. Wow, that cuts the heart, doesn't it? But that's exactly what you're talking about. But at the same time, when we live for Jesus, we can be offensive to people too. Don't, don't misunderstand that, you know, we'll be accused of all sorts of things for living for Jesus. But at the same time, even though that's the case, people will still be drawn when you're living the authentic Christian life. People will be drawn to that. There is, there is the power in that that draws them. And you know what it is? It's truth. It's the character of truth that will draw people in a world that's so shifting, that's so changing, that's so untruthful, that when, when there's something that's true before them, it, it's hard. It's hard not to be drawn to that. Some will ultimately reject that truth in favor of lies, but many will not. And I think that in large part, one of the reasons that we don't see today so people coming to Christ, and I'm not saying they need to come in droves, but I do believe one of the things that's keeping people from coming to Christ today is that the church has watered down its testimony of Jesus in the way that we're living. And you know what? If we're going to live compromised, the world can do that. They don't need anything that you're not offering them anything they don't already have. But you live the radical life for Christ, you lay down your life for Jesus and truly let him resurrect you to new life, and I promise you, you will see people come to Christ. You will see them come to Christ, because God will use you to reveal his truth to them. Amen? And then in John 1.17, it says, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Once again, we have this. Here we have the law. Now, the law was true. Absolutely it was true. But it showed men how untruthful they are. Now, Jesus came and he presented a different way. He lived the law to show how truth can be lived out in the life of an individual through his power, through him. In John chapter 8, verse 26, he says, I have many things to say and, and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I heard from him. A lot of things to say to you, but he who sent me is true. I could say lots of things all day long, but what I'd rather talk about is the one who is true, you see. John 17, 70, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. If we meditate on God, if we meditate on Jesus, and I don't mean hum, you know, 
when the scripture uses that word meditate, what it's talking about is think about, chew over in your mind. I, I like to use that analogy of food. I did it one day. Maybe I should do it this morning because when I did this last time, somebody bought it for me. But I was talking about I love lobster on a Wednesday night. You guys heard my I love lobster speech before? I do, you know. I do. And when I chew it, man, I want to get every last ounce of taste out of that. I want to get the juices out of it. I want to get the butter. And my mom used to make it with that. I don't know. I'm going there. Somebody bought it for me last time after I did that. So I'm open to that, just so you know. Okay. <laughs> but when you think about that, that's the idea of meditate. It's the idea that we take these things. If, if all you do is come in here on a Sunday morning, and you just look at these words, and you hear me talk, and you say, that's great, great message. You know, you might not say that all the time. But you walk out the door, and you don't think anything more about it. This has been a worthless drill for you. This has been worthless. You've got nothing out of it. But if what you do is you take this, and you go back out and discard the stuff that I say, but go back out the door and, and think about what God was saying to you this morning. And you're looking at his word, and you're letting that in your mind, and you're just kind of hashing that over in the quiet stillness of whatever you do on a Sunday afternoon or in the course of the week, but you're constantly letting that flow through your mind and you're chewing every last ounce of taste and flavor out of it. That's the idea of meditate on these things. Meditate on it. Meditate it like that when you're, you're studying the Word of God in the morning. Somebody say, how do you do quiet time? It's simple. Sit down, open your Bible, and start to read, but ask God to, to show you something for you. Even if you don't see it right then, say, Lord, I'm going to think about these scriptures that you're giving me this morning and show me something for me. Show me something in this that you're trying to communicate to me. That's meditating, you see. That's meditating. I mean, Psalm 1, we don't have time, but what's it talk about? Like a, like a tree planted by the waters, you know, sitting there meditating on God's word so continually that it's refreshing your soul. You know, a lot of the stuff I write on Facebook is nothing more than a meditation that's come from what the Lord is showing me in the word as I've sat down in the course of the week for me. Somebody wrote and said, it's blessing me so much. I said, I'm glad it's blessing you. I'm just writing it because it's stuff that the Lord was showing me for my life. And I'm glad you're blessed too by it. But that's meditating on God's word. If we meditate on these things, if we meditate about who Jesus is, if we meditate on who God is, if we meditate about his things, and, and where do we find those things? In the word of God. As we begin to do that, God will fill our hearts and our minds with so much stuff that will displace all of the stuff that works us up all the time. It'll just change things. We'll grow. We will grow. And we will be blessed. And it doesn't mean that every day will be a good day. It doesn't mean every day will be a non-stress day. I've had some stress days this week. I just have. But you know what? God will still be that peace in the midst of the stress because of this. Because this is what's in our heart. And nothing else can stay long. And then he says, whatever things are noble. Noble literally means worthy of reverence. That's what that word means. I know we think of nobility, but it means worthy of reverence. Uh, you know, there is nothing more worthy of reverence than God. Nothing. I mean, Psalm 89.7 says it best. Psalm 89.7 says, God is great to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be held in reverence by all those around him. Wow. I am so blessed that God has given us relationship with himself. I am so blessed that he turns around and he says, no longer do I call you servants or slaves, but I call you friends. I'm so blessed by that. But I am not in the camp of people who suddenly take that as an open door to just treat him like my buddy. God is more than my buddy. He's more than my buddy. And I don't ever want to put him into that realm of just being 
you know, one of the yokels I'm going to hang out with. Take no offense by that because I hang out with you guys, okay? <laughs> did I just call you yokels? Yeah, I guess I did, you know? But you know what I'm saying? I don't want to do that with him. He's more than that. And even though he's extended that to me, I still turn around and I treat him with a respect. And that doesn't mean I have to overdo that respect. And again, you know, I know some people take that to mean that if I don't, you know, come to church in a suit and tie, well, I'm not showing respect to God. No, 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 no. No, it's the respect of the heart. It's the heart attitude respect that I show to him. I don't treat his things as light. I don't, I don't, I don't treat him lightly as I do it. You know, I, I lived in Louisiana, and when I was there, if you've ever seen that movie, um, uh, The Apostle, uh, it's a lot like that down there in Pentecostalism. But um, there's a scene in that movie where Robert Duvall gets into a big fight with Billy Bob Thornton or whatever his name is, and they're outside duking it out. I saw that happen in a little church we were in at the time in Louisiana. My pastor had an evangelist that would come around, and he really liked him and decided to bring him in. This is my early days in Christ, okay? Decided he was going to bring him in, and, and he was there a couple of Sundays. And one of the Sundays he got up, and he took his Bible, and he flung it across the sanctuary. And everybody gasped. I mean, the pages ripped out and everything. And everybody gasped. And he looked up, and he said, what are you gasping for? It's, it's just paper. You know, that's not—the Word of God is, is more than that book. I understand what you're saying, but see, I think there was a flippancy and a lightedness to that. Now, that doesn't mean I hold this material thing with some kind of respect, you know, no, but I hold the author with respect, and I know that the author has said that, you know what, this is sharper than any two-edged sword. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, that it cuts through me and it cuts into me and that it's living and it's active. I don't worship the book but I worship the one who gave me the book. Therefore, since he gave it to me, I treat it with respect. It's just one example, but so many times there are things of the Lord that we treat so lightly as though, well, it just doesn't matter because we're just his big buddies. No. He says that we're to think on the things that are worthy of reverence, and God is worthy of reverence. He's worthy of being revered by his people in our hearts. He's extended this to me, and yet I turn around and say to him, thank you. And, and I so appreciate that, Lord. But you're still God. And I'm still, as Joe often says, I'm a worm and not a man. You know? I know who I am in light of your glory, and I'm so blessed that you've extended your grace. And it's not that I'm going to, you know, beat myself over who I am, but it does mean that as I approach you, I'm still going to approach you with an understanding of who you are. But to think about, think about, you know, just rolling over in your mind God's majesty. I mean, just go through the scriptures and look up on your own sometime, just the things that speak of the majesty of God. Will there be any wonder in our minds that that day will come where we see in, in Revelation 4 where, where, where the saints are just casting their crowns before him and falling before him in that day? It doesn't surprise me. Because in our hearts, we should already be doing that. But we meditate on these things. We, there is nothing more worthy of reverence than our God. And then he says, whatever things are just. Whatever things are just. The word just is from the Greek word meaning both just and also righteous. And here righteous is in a comprehensive sense. And I have to tell you, there is none more righteous than God. Psalm 19, verse 9. 
Psalm 19, verse 9, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. I have to tell you, I have seen people in my life who just question the righteousness of God or the justice of God. I've seen Christians do it. You know, I can't tell you that there haven't been times in my life where I probably walked on the line where I've been angry at God over things or just feeling like this isn't fair. And I guess in a sense, that's question the justice. But I have to tell you, in the end, I always knew in my heart, I don't understand it all, but I know God's just. I know he's right in what he does, that he's righteous in what he does. And you see, that changes our attitude. When we begin to think about these things, doesn't it change our attitude and our approach to the word of God? When we come to something in there that just doesn't make sense to us, and, and we say, boy, that just doesn't fit things the way it, you know, look at our culture today. Why would we be doing Surely he couldn't mean this. But you see, I think when we begin to understand that God, is, his judgments are right, that the things about him are right, and he's just, and he's fair, and, he, and what he asks of us, though it may not make sense to us, to fall back on that, it changes our whole attitude and our response to the things he asks of us. It means I'm going to trust you even though it doesn't make sense. You know, I, I've lost people in my life that I have dearly loved. You know, I, I've never lost a close family member yet, like within our circle, but I've lost friends who, who I just, I mean, there was a guy early, some of you guys remember Brian early on in ministry, um, three years into ministry, Brian died and, and he was in his 30s. And I love Brian. I mean, that was a hard funeral to preach. There was a part of me that just wanted to say, why, Lord, why would you do that? And yet... In the end, the scriptures just resound. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. And, you know, to think about that, to have that on your heart and to meditate on that and have that in your mind, when those times come that it's not fair, guess which one wins out? Those truths that you've meditated on about God and who he is. There is none more just than God. Revelation 15, 3, they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Wow. And then he says, Whatever things are pure. The Greek word pure speaks of purity in all things. Not in some things, but in all things. Wow. We are in a generation today where it's hard to think purely about things, isn't it? And we, we go and turn on our TV sets, and we're just imbued in, in with stuff that's impure. I mean, you can't even watch a football game anymore. I mean, we go walk out of the room and turn off the commercials most of the time or go get our snacks and stuff if we're watching a football game. Because, again, we turned off after a couple of years ago. We turned off the halftime show at Super Bowl, and I love the Super Bowl. But we turned it over after that obscene thing that took place a few years ago with Justin Timberlake, and I don't remember who it was. But, you know, that took place. The world is, is trying to push its impurity on us and saying this is normal. And yet we got to push back and say, no, that's not pure. That's not right. That's not of God. What would God look at? What is it that he thinks on? What are the things that he sees? What, what is it that, that pings his heart, you see? And that should be the things that we're thinking about. Lord, what, what is it that you love? I love that. You know, David says at one point, he says, I will hate those whom you hate. Now, clearly, it's not an admonition for us to walk around hating people. But the point is that, you know what? Things are pure to you, Lord. Those are the things that I'm going to set my heart on. That's what I'm going to look at. And those things that are impure to you, those are the things that I will not set my eyes on. It's a hard one. It's a hard one in the impure world. 
Thank you for joining us for another episode of Journey in the Word, a verse-by-verse teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel of the Cumberland Valley. If you would like to listen to more teachings or find out more information about us, go to www.journeyintheword.org. That's www.journeyintheword.org. Thanks again for listening. We hope you'll tune in for our next episode as we continue our Journey in the Word.